0: In your bulletin, you've got uh, Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. We'll kind of reference that, but you've got that uh, in there because that's kind of the crux of um, uh, the pivotal point here. But uh, anyway, Daniel was living in exile. As you know, he and some others were, were taken from Jerusalem, and they were taken all the way to Babylon. And uh, in Babylon, uh, the king recognized the, the, the sharpest, most intelligent, uh, most handsome young men, and he wanted to bring those men and train them uh, in the ways of the Chaldeans and, and put them in leadership roles. And so Daniel was one that in this group of men uh, that were selected, hand picked, became head and shoulders above everybody else. Because of his integrity, because of his wisdom, because of who he was and his faith in, in God uh, just began to, to, to move up and, and move up in leadership. And, and, uh, and so what happened, Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, he was the king and, and we talked about him two weeks ago uh, with the fiery furnace and everything. Well, when he dies, his son, Belshazzar, takes over and you learn about him in chapter 5. He was a uh, man that didn't last long in the kingdom. He was slain. And then Darius comes on the scene, and this is the king or the ruler during the time of Daniel chapter 6. But Daniel is is beginning to distinguish himself above everybody else. And so uh, what Darius decides to do is, under his leadership, he's going to put about 120 men in charge of different regions. And then he's going to put three men in charge of... Of all of those. So there's a level of, of accountability. And, and, uh, and so Daniel is one of the three that he puts in charge over all the folks, all the regions. And then Darius starts realizing how uh, learned Daniel is and how trustworthy he is. And he says, You know what? I think I'm going to put him in charge of everybody over the three. And he'll probably put somebody in that spot. But anyway, Daniel's going to basically be over everything. And so the other two guys out of the three were getting a little jealous, and they said, how can we bring charges against Daniel? What can we do to get this guy out of here? Because he is showing us up. He is doing things that uh, are impressive, yes, but we want glory too. We want fame. We want recognition, and he's taking it all. So have you ever been in a situation where you're doing well or you see somebody else excelling and doing well And those around them, instead of celebrating that and being grateful, uh, become jealous and and want to tear that person down. And sometimes they'll talk bad about that person, or sometimes they'll talk bad about you if you're in that position. Uh, and and it's it's horrible we should celebrate the benefits that come from folks that are doing well but but many times people don't and and sometimes it's because of insecurities that we have sometimes it's because of pride and arrogance that we might have but we don't want to celebrate the success of other people as much as we want to have that success ourselves and that was kind of what was happening to Daniel and so uh in in chapter six you find out that these these guys got some other guys together, and they made a decision. They said, why don't we talk to the king, and why don't we say, oh, king, live forever. Uh, sign into a decree that for 30 days no one can ask anything of anyone or pray to any other god but you for 30 days. Now. When the king hears this, most kings would say, "Eh, you know, I don't know that's a great idea, but because there's pride in our lives, when you speak to something like that, oh, I'm going to be the most important figure of of it all, Darius said, cool, I'll do that. So he signs into law, according to the Medes and the Persians, and once it was signed into law, nobody could change it, not even the king. He couldn't go back and change it. Uh, So for 30 days, if anybody prayed to any god, but Darius, if anybody needed anything, he was the one. Uh, and it sets him up, you know, kind of as, as, you know, so these, these guys knew that, that they could tap into that with Darius. So he, he signs this decree, signs this law, it goes into practice. And Daniel was aware of this. Now Daniel wasn't one of the guys that were coming up with this because they were trying to trick Daniel. Because they knew that the only way they could get Daniel in trouble or the only way there could be any kind of accusation against Daniel was if it had to do with his religion, if it had to do with with Judaism, if it had to do with his faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's why they came up with this plan. Well, sure enough, you find out that uh, it it goes into law. And then Daniel knew about verse 10. If you want to look in your bulletin, uh, this is the last verse there. It says, uh, Now Daniel knew that the document was signed. He entered his house, now in his room, the roof of his chamber, Uh, He had windows, and he opened them toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling uh, on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So these guys knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. And at least three times a day, he would go and he would spend time actually praying. And he was facing Jerusalem, and he was was spending time um, talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that he was faithfully serving. So when this law gets passed, uh, Daniel doesn't say, well, you know, I'm going to be a faithful, and I'm going to use the word Christian, but that was when Christ came. I'm going to be a faithful Christian, but I'm just not going to do the things that I normally do. I'm just going to kind of give in. Uh, He didn't do that. He said, You know what? The most important thing in my life is my relationship with God. And I'm going to continue to be faithful, and I'm going to continue to put Him first and I'm going to continue to pray as I always have. Now, you don't do this as a public display. And he wasn't doing that. People didn't know. uh, I mean, he wasn't making a public display of this, but these guys knew his character and knew him so well that they knew he prayed. And so they spied on him, and they found out, yes, he was doing that. That didn't deter him from praying. And so they go, and they tell the king, hey, king, there's one person that's not doing what you said to do, and it's Daniel. And the... um, Punishment for that was to be thrown in a den of lions, and so sure enough, uh, Darius hears his Daniel, and he's like, "Whoa! Now wait a minute! Now I, I, I didn't think this was going to cause my top man to be in trouble." And and so he Darius keeps doing everything he can to stop this from happening, but he's stuck because it's the law, and he even the king can't uh, contradict the law. He can't he can't break the law, and that's how it was back in this particular era. So they take Daniel, they throw him in a lion's den, and uh, put a stone over the mouth of the den, so he's stuck in there all night long. Now, these aren't lions like Simba, you know, these aren't little cute little, I mean, these are actually adult lions that eat people. Okay, and they knew that if they used that as the consequence, then it was the death penalty. The person thrown into the lions' den was not going to survive because the lions would eat those people. I mean, that's that's they knew that. And so, um, anyway, uh, this is really cool. Um, Darius was deeply distressed. He fasted all night. He didn't have entertainment brought to him. He didn't. He he just he was worried about Daniel all night long. Uh, in verse sixteen, the king gave orders. Uh, Daniel was brought he was cast in the lion's den but he said this I love this in verse 16 your God whom you serve constantly will himself deliver you so here's this secular king telling Daniel man I was tricked basically and uh, I signed this law and you're going to be thrown in the lion's den I know but guess what don't have to guess what But here's what I believe. Daniel, I believe the God that you serve is so powerful that he's going to deliver you. He's going to protect you from these lions that would instantly take your life and eat you. That's what Darius understood about Daniel's God. Now, let me ask you this. If someone knew you very well, what could they uh, know about the God that you serve based on your life and my life? What kind of testimony do people give about your God, the God that we love, the God that we worship, the God that we just sang to, based on our life? And Daniel's life was such that this ungodly king, now he... he believed in deities, but he wasn't a Christ follower, he wasn't a, uh, he didn't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Abraham. He knew enough about Daniel's God based on who Daniel was to say, I, I believe your God can, can even protect you from these lions. And uh, if you don't know the story, it gets even better. So they brought that stone, they put it over it. Uh, he's, he's thrown in the lion's den. Uh, and then the next morning, At dawn, verse 19, the king arose at dawn at the break break of day, and he went in haste to the lion's den. And when he came near to the mouth of the den, he cried out to Daniel in a troubled voice. The king spoke and said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, he believed that was happening, but he didn't know for sure, so he runs early in the morning. As soon as the law was over, he runs and he checks it out and he says, you know what? Uh, Are you still there? Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. And I bet when he heard Daniel's voice, he was like, "Whoo!" And then this is verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They did not harm me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime oh my gosh so here's Daniel he gets thrown in the lion's den now now you're gonna find out in a minute how hungry these lions really were so so he's thrown in the lion's den and God sends his angel now we don't know which angel it was now we find out Michael's in the New Testament Gabriel's in the you know some of these names are given throughout the scriptures we don't know which one it could have been any of them because they could have done it so God said hey go down there uh, Daniel's fixing to get thrown in his lion's den. When he gets thrown in there, I want you to just close all the, all the lion's mouths. And the angel goes, yes, sir. I mean, the, the angels don't go, well, I don't know about that. You know, I'm kind of scared of lions. They got sharp teeth and big claws. I mean, angels don't, they don't, they don't. So, so this angel's dispatch. The angel goes down. Right when Daniel's in the lion's den, all of a sudden, this angel just goes, and all the, so the lions are going, you know, I'm hungry. This is supposed to be my meal. So, so Darius brings Daniel out, and he knows that these other guys have tricked him into doing that. So he orders that they get thrown into the lion's den and their families. So our lives have consequences, and unfortunately, their families are thrown in there. And it says before they even hit the ground, the lions are consuming them and pouncing on them and breaking their bones. So these big cats, these ferocious, intense lions, when these folks are thrown in there, immediately they're just consumed and eaten, and, and, and they're, they're pounced lions will pounce and just breaking their bones. So it's not like Simba and, and Nala were in there going, oh, Daniel, you're such a nice guy. We're not going to hurt you. I mean, they, they, so these guys were put to death. And then the king... He makes this decree, and he sends it out, and he says uh, that they throughout his kingdom should fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. He has dominion, and he goes on and says other things that are, are just powerful about the God of Daniel, but this, this, this king, because of who Daniel was, was so influenced that he began to understand who God was. So when I look at this story and we think about folks being in exiles and learning from their, from their story, there's lots of things that we can draw from this. Hopefully it just gives you the courage to, to not resist, um, the temp- to, to be able to resist the temptation to, to, to just kind of back off of your faith. You know, the three guys throwing the furnace two weeks ago, I mean, I, that was, you know, you got me getting a little animated on that one. I mean, I, I don't know if y'all were here. Who was here two weeks ago? All right, somebody said, Mark, you said, woo about 100 times, but I did. I mean, just like, man, I mean, and so Daniel, I tried to calm it down today, but Daniel's the same way. I mean, my hope is that these these stories inspire us because they lived in such an intense situation. I don't know that we'll ever get that kind of intensity, but we'll have people questioning us. We'll have people ridiculing us. We'll have people laughing at us for our faith. We'll have people making fun of us, and I hope that that, when compared to this— doesn't give you pause, doesn't call you, well, you know, I don't know that I need to really be that, you know, committed to Christianity. No, I hope it inspires us to be as committed, as intense, and loving, not to the extreme where we're being, uh, where we put people off. Uh, but, it, but it's, man, that, that passion for God, that zeal for Him, and that desire to love Him and love Him. Uh, I hope these stories have been such that, just like Esther last week, she said, I'm going to go to the king, and if I die, I die. But I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do this. And so this idea of of being all out, all committed uh, to to God is seen in these lives. And so the first thing that that really jumps off the page to me is that Daniel has a a faith, a resilient faith, a consistent faith, a faith that grows and is is stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's so real to him that even when he's faced with death, he's he's still going to pursue that relationship with God. Just like a couple of weeks ago, those three guys—I mean, when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and said it—we don't have to give you an account. I mean, it's just so. Hopefully, as we read this, we think, "Man, look at my faith. What, what am I doing?" to foster my relationship with God. You know, what can I be doing to, to love him more? What can I be doing to, to, to grow in my faith and, so, uh, and to be more and more like these people? And so he wouldn't stop praying. He, he didn't uh, back off of his relationship with God. So that's the, man, to me, that's the first thing that jumps off the page. Uh, the second thing is that, man, God sent his angel to deliver him. And remember the fourth person walking around in the fiery furnace? I mean, God sent, it was either an angel or Jesus. We don't know who. But that fourth person, Nebuchadnezzar said, looks like the son of the gods. So we don't know who that fourth person is. There's speculation. It could have been Jesus. We don't know. But, but God looks over the world. Second Chronicles 16, 9, there's a rebuke to a certain king. And in that rebuke, there's this wonderful principle. And it says this, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth. Searching for those whose hearts are completely his. And when he finds those people, he strongly supports them. And so the king didn't do that, so he's getting rebuked by this prophet. But in in that rebuke was the wonderful principle that God is aware of what's going on all over the world. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what's happening around you. And as you and I stand for God and you and I love him and love others and do the things Jesus asks us to do and live the way we're supposed to live... God looks and, and says, oh, look at that person right there. I can strongly support them because they're faithful to me. And so Daniel's going to stand firm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Esther was going to stand firm. All of these folks, they're gonna, they stand in faith. And because of that, God says, oh, I'm going to back them up. I've got their back in a sense. I'm going I'm to provide for them. And when those three guys said, even if God doesn't, because God, God decides what he wants to do. But one of the things he says he'll do is he'll strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And, and if he chooses not to, that's on him. And I can't accuse him. When I stand before God, I'll understand why he didn't. But, but when, when you're in a situation, he's going to strongly support you. And it is so, so powerful when that happens. So this, this angel comes and is there for Daniel. Now, Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and strongly supports them or rescues them. So even the psalmist understands this principle that that when our hearts are completely God's, then he is going to strongly support you. And his angels even encamp around us. So that should give us hope. I hope that'll inspire you to stand firm and do what God wants you to do. Uh, so the first thing is, just, man, Daniel's faith. I mean, it just inspires me. And what can, what can I do to, to grow my faith with God? The second thing is, man, God's going to strongly support me because I'm passionately following him. And his angels are going to encamp around us. Um It's cool when you get in a situation, and it just came to mind, so I'll share it with you, where, you know, if God didn't show up, things can get kind of spicy and and difficult. So uh, what comes to my mind, I'll I'll share it with you. Uh, When I graduated from the University of Georgia, I went right into campus ministry, and Mississippi State opened up, so I was asked to pray about going and directing the ministry at Mississippi State. That's where I met Fran. She was already on staff there. So I'm at Mississippi State. I'm directing our campus ministry, and I'm working with some young guys and, and discipling them. And this one guy named Mike, he was a senior, and uh, he was about to graduate. He ended up graduating, and we put him on staff, which was great. Uh, so Mike and I are out on the campus, and we're just witnessing. We're sharing our faith and, and inviting people to our campus ministries and, and talking to them about the Lord. And just You know, it's just it's been a great day. So we go in one of the dorms, and we're talking to some guys that we had met on the campus. We were in the dorm room, and we're leaving, and we're going down the stairwell. And in the, in the bottom of the stairwell, just about to go out the door, we hear some people at the top. It's a four-story dorm, and, and they're coming in, and you can hear them, and they're really loud. And, man, these guys are cussing. These guys are talking filthy. These guys are just, I mean, it's embarrassing how they're talking. And so, um, so we walk outside, and we're about to go back home, and Mike said, Mark, man, I, let's just wait for those guys to come outside. I, I, just, I just feel like I need to talk to them. And I was like, all right, dude, whatever you want to do, that's fine with me. So we stand out there, and these two guys walk out. And these guys are huge. They are big. And they're still yakking away. And Mike, Mike is a tall, skinny guy, great basketball player, but tall. And he said, hey, guys, uh, couldn't help overhearing what you were saying in the hallway coming down the steps. And they kind of looked at him like, kind of like, what what do you, you know, it was just kind of weird. And he started wanting to, to witness to him. And I'm sitting there kind of letting Mike do it. And uh, all of a sudden, and these guys are big. I mean, they're like big, uh, muscular, big. And, uh, and they get a little offended. And they start coming, coming at him. And they're just, you know, I mean, they're just barking at him. And, just, just, and Mike starts backing up, and his eyes are getting big. And, and this idea of strongly supporting you, that kind of thing. Well, the Holy Spirit just kind of jumped on me. And just compelled me to step right in between these two guys and Mike. So I'm right there. Now they're, they're, they're in my face. And, and they're uh, intense. And, uh, and the Lord just started giving me the words to say. And I said, guys, what if your grandmothers heard what you were saying? I, I don't know where that came from. And both of them, I mean, they just went, they just kind of just collapsed. And I said, I bet, I bet your grandmothers are praying for you right now, weren't they? And they both said, yeah. And I said, what, what do you think they want for you while you're here in college? And they just hung their head. I said, I would say they would want you to know Jesus. They would want you to follow him. They wouldn't want you saying the things that we overheard y'all saying. And we're not being mean to you. We're just appealing to your heart. Guys, we 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 want you to know the Lord, and we got to talk to them for quite some time, and so we started seeing these guys on campus, and I don't want to tell you who they were, uh, but but we'd see them on campus, and they would yell out, "Hey, there's my preacher man, preacher man, come over here," and they were they would, they would and they'd introduce us to their buddies, you know, their ball players and 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 all this kind of stuff, and and and. It, it, they never gave their life to Christ as, as far as I knew during that season of their life, but my hope was because their grandmothers were praying for them and people were investing in their life spiritually that they responded at some point in time. But the reason I'm telling you all that is that God strongly supported Mike and me in that situation because we, we could have very well gone to the hospital with injuries from being beaten to a pulp by these two guys. I mean, they were that big and they were that mad and they were on the verge of being really offended and angry but when when God comes on the scene, because that was not me. That I, I would have just said, "Hey guys, we're sorry to, you know, Mike. Let's get out of here." You know, I don't want to take you the cowardly way out. I would have been gone, you know. Uh, so, but but I I just it was just God. And and when God does stuff like that, it's like, you know, there's there's more to this than we can even imagine. that, that God wants us to be faithful to Him. And when we're faithful and, and he needs to have our back because we need it, he's there. He's just there. Because Mike's heart was pure in that. Mike wasn't trying to do anything other than just love on these two guys that he knew were whatever he was saying. But uh, so, so the second thing I see is, man, God sends his angel and protects Daniel. And I believe God will do the same thing for us in whatever scenario that might look like. Um, but he does. And then there's other things, of course. But but the third thing I want to say is, or point out, is those guys that tried to have Daniel killed, in the end, got what they deserved. And sometimes you think, you know what? Why aren't the wicked suffering for the infliction of pain and suffering that they're causing? Where's justice? People might start questioning God and say, God, why why are people that aren't doing great seem to be having it all together, and folks that are trying to do the right thing seem to be struggling? Uh, or how can somebody get away with something that they've done that's so just wrong? In and, and Daniel's story, there's lots of things, but, but these guys in the end were thrown into the lion's den, and they were, they were killed. And we don't want that for people now in the New Testament time. We want our enemies to even become faithful Christians. We're praying for our enemies. We're, We're not praying for their doom and their demise. We're praying for their salvation. We want them to get right with God. We don't want them to have eternity apart from Him. But if they don't change, they're going to experience that. And so we don't have to worry about the scales of justice. We don't have to worry about, you know, you know that's why God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And some of the great, greatest movies, you know, revenge is kind of the theme, you know. And I love Clint Eastwood. He's got some great movies. And, and revenge seems to be some of those things that he tacked. Because there's something inside everybody. We want revenge. We want justice. We want to, you know. And so, but God says, hey, let me handle this. And he will handle it. And in this particular situation, it happened instantly. And he used a wicked king, Darius, and, and these guys were, were, were punished. So in our worries and our concerns and our fears and in our anxieties about justice and right and wrong and all that, God, let God handle that. But we are faithful, we are consistent, we are true, we are letting um, our lights shine so people see our good works and give glory to God, and then God is going to tease it all out. And if anybody treats you like these guys treated Daniel, the right response is not saying, God, get them, but God, save them, because hurt people hurt people. You know what I'm saying? People that are injured or people that are insecure. And pe- and that was what was motivating these guys. They were insecure. They wanted whatever it was. And so our prayers for those folks that are doing that to us or doing that to somebody else who might be doing well is to pray that God saved them. In your mercy and your kindness and your love for them, let them see who Christ is. Let them uh, find their identity in Christ. And it's going to lead me... To this and this was uh remember i showed you the book two weeks ago i think liz might have showed you the book last week faith for exiles but in that book there's some wonderful truths that i want to tap into as, as we conclude and that is folks that don't know the lord folks that maybe are persecuting you or folks that that uh you know are, are struggling they have we all have questions and the true answer to these questions it's it, they are found in christ and in Christ alone, and here's some of these questions, questions for identity, like who am I really? And where do I find my truest self? I mean, people have these questions about themselves. Who, who am I? What, why am you know, all that kind of stuff. And so the true answer to that, the real answer to that, that goes to the core of who we are, is found in Jesus. And so if you know folks that are wondering or folks that are picking on someone else or folks that are, they will find their identity in Christ questions about how to live, how should I live in today's world? What are my, do my choices matter and those we, we do find how to live in this world in Christ and the things that we do matters questions of intimacy and in relationships am I loved? Who are my friends? Does anyone care about me? These are questions that people are asking and in Christ those answers those Realities can be met. You are loved, and you can have true friends in Christ. And people do truly care about you. Um, I see that how, how this church loves one another, and and uh and we've had some folks that have been uh going through surgeries and people who've lost loved ones, and how the church rallies around these individuals, and they're telling me, Mark, Martha Bowman has been such a blessing to me. Or my Sunday school class has been there to support me in so many ways. And and, and we find that in in the Christian community. And it's not anywhere else in the world like like it is in God's family. Two more. Um, Questions of meaning and purpose. Does my life matter? People, we want to know that. Uh, What am I made for? Am I made for something? Is there a reason that I'm here? And in Christ, these questions are answered. And then finally, legacy and significance. Can I make a difference? What really matters? What counts for a life well lived? And so when you find men like those that were perse- persecuting Daniel, they're crying out these, these deep-seated questions. They're, they're, they need that. We all need that. And the only place we can find it is in Jesus. And there's substitutes out there. But they never satisfy they never go to the core of who we are there's always something missing there's always something that's not right but in god in christ everything we ask all of these yearnings of the heart are met to the fullness and it is sweet and it is wonderful and if those questions are still churning in your mind that's okay But I'm going to point you like Daniel would to Jesus and say that's where you'll find it.